welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 242, the March 1989 issue, on sale November 15th of 1988, cover price of $1.50 because it's got a page count of 48. It's a double-sized issue, y'all, and this one's titled Burn. It is indeed, and on the cover of this one, you have angry-looking X-Men, well, at least a couple angry-looking X-Men, what, Storm, Havoc, Wolverine, and then bursting out from underneath them, you've got the characters of X-Factor. It's true, and this is is the third in a series of X-Men Inferno covers where you have things on the top and things on the bottom. What's on the, oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. 241 and 240 had all those other, I guess, major players in the Inferno saga. So it's like a theme. Yeah, it's like a it's like a stack theme. Is it okay? Because I also was. I think you're right. Uh, I was also going with uh, this is kind of reminiscent of giant sized X Men number one. Yeah, that too. But, I figured you were to say that. But I don't know. I think. Maybe this kind of a cover is just cliche at this point, right? You got one set of characters on the top and another set of characters bursting from the bottom. Any cover that's like that is going to be reminiscent of that, I think. Yeah. So it's probably Uh, an unfair comparison. The only reason that I would have even noticed that they were kind of the same pattern is because one of these collections puts them all side by side. Oh, okay. Um, I can't find it in this one, so it's not in my Inferno omnibus, but it must be somewhere else because I've seen them all side by side, and uh, and yeah, they're kind of they're kind of the same theme. The other theme is that uh, two forty was titled "Strike the Match," and two forty one was "Fan the Flames." This one's titled "Burn." Yeah, so, so. It's, a, it's a good cover. Is that great? It's a good cover. It's not great. Yeah. I, I don't like how uh, finally, because you demanded it, the original is our back X Factor. Makes it look like it's a Saturday morning cartoon thing. I think that's because of the finally because you demanded it little explosion. There, there's uh, there's some good fonts in here and uh, or, or I guess lettering, but not on the cover. Yeah. This is also, isn't this the old X-Factor logo? Is there? A, did the X-Factor change their logo when I missed it? I don't know. I thought so. I could be wrong about that. It's certainly possible. It wouldn't be the first thing I missed. I feel like this was the X-Factor logo on X-Factor 1, and I feel like somewhere in the teens they switched over to a more modern logo. Hmm. Yeah, but, looks like you're right. I'm looking at the X-Factor logo in 37, and the X is on top now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, it's uh, it, the it's it's okay. It's an okay cover. But I, if it was on a T-shirt, though, I'd buy it just be, just because of the nostalgia factor, though. I don't know. I, I guess I probably would buy it, but I if there was like two X-Men covers available and I only had enough money for one, I'd probably buy the other one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we open it up and we see a full page spread of. Logan giving Jean Grey a big old smooch. And I've always thought this was like a striking, I guess, drawing. Like it's it's 
it's a good drawing. Until today, I noticed that if you look at Wolverine's like beneath his cheek and his his basically everything beneath his cheek and nose to his chin, mm-hmm. looks like he's withering away. Is that just because of the hash marks that are happening? Yeah, he's got like old flappy skin. Yeah. It's kind of gross. Yeah. It's grossing me out, man. When you look at it that close, I I guess you're right. Definitely they were going for, you know, Wolverine's an older kind of grizzled character. Um, But yeah, now you've ruined this moment for me forever. I've hopefully ruined it for a lot of people. (laughs) It does kind of look like Jean is absorbing him through her mouth. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yep. But this anyways. is Inferno Part the Third, because Claremont was really into that whole the the third and the second and the, the first second. things. Yep. And then you turn the page and you get a two-page spread of all of the evil and self-absorbed X-Men on the left-hand side, and all of the self-righteous X-Factor characters in the middle, with Madeline Pryor sort of in the middle. She's more off to the right than anywhere else. But she's a, she's not Goblin Queen eyesed. She is Madeline Pryor. She's in her flight suit. She's holding the baby. She's kind of looking around like, hey, what's going on? What's the fuss? So where we left off in X-Men 241 was the last thing we saw was on the X-Men side of things was Nastir soul-sucked Longshot, which is why he's on the ground here. And um, And then the last thing Wolverine said was like, get frost, you folks. We got trouble. Uh, doesn't he, is that what he says? Yeah. Uh, he says something about recognizing some things that have been troubling him or something. It's like we got, it's bad news or something like that. Yep. I can find it. Well, I don't know. I was hoping I wouldn't have to. (laughs) But then at the event, uh, at the end of X Factor, we see an arm reach out to Marvel Girl and say something I got to confirm or something like that. Yes. So X-Factor made their way into Manhattan Island, um, the southernmost reaches of Central Park, where the X-Men also had made their ways to. Here's what he says. Ain't that simple, Havoc. We got company, X-Men. We got trouble. Okay. That's That's at the end of X-Men, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now, the people that binge this podcast are like, yeah, I know. I just heard this like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but that's you know this is like the uh every time you you binge through a show i don't know do you watch the previously on uh it depends on the show and it depends on how much of a pause i've taken because frequently that is a tip off to let you know what the episode is going to be about and it's like we need to remind you this this and this and this because it's important for this episode Absolutely. Um, there's some shows where they'll show like it'll be like the fifth season and they'll show you scenes from the first season and you're like, oh, I know this episode's going to be important because they're referencing old stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, We're not doing that. I always watch those things. Well, like, we just did. Well, sort of, but we didn't go back in time. We just went back a couple of issues. <laughs> Remember back in X-Men number one? Remember two weeks ago? <laughs> um. Uh, in the future, if we ever get that far in the X-Men podcast, uh, the X-Men comics definitely do a previously in the comics and they'll show like modern issues that they're referencing as well as uh, like old issues, which is kind of neat. And then they stop doing that, which is sad. And I think nowadays they do just like a paragraph of text. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just, uh, when I was back into it for a little while, which was probably 10 years ago now, uh, they would print the cover too. Like, here are three covers, and this is what happened in those issues. Oh. Yeah. Like, just a, like a like a couple sentences, not, not a full breakdown. But Yeah. Anyways, this thing is written by Chris Claremont. It's penciled by Mark Silvestri. Uh, inked by Dan Green, colored by Glynis Oliver, Tom Orzakowski is doing the letters, Bob Harris is the editor-in-chief, and Tom DeFelt... Oh, my gosh. Bob Harris has not received a promotion. He is still <laughs> he is still just the editor. Uh, Tom DeFalco, in fact, is the editor-in-chief. My bad. My bad. Does Bob Harris yeah. ever become an editor-in-chief? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, um, that's the two-page spread. Nothing, nothing happening too exciting there. It's basically a, a what do you what do you call it when you name check everybody? Isn't is there like a, a word for that? I don't know. Name dropping. I don't know. It, it's 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 one of those things where you see everybody and everybody gets uh, a name checked, so you you are familiarized with who the characters are. Ah, gotcha. So the first two page panels, which is three pages of this comic book. I would argue that Wolverine, while you can't really see his mouth, but he definitely looks like he's uh, nicely and gently giving Jean a kiss. But then we see this third panel, and now we're kind of back to evil Wolverine, where he's like, worth waiting for, eh, Genie? And he's got an evil expression on his face. He's kind of a creeper. In this panel, yes. In the first two, you're like, oh, well, he's kind of, he's a sensitive-looking dude. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, they present it as a tender kiss, certainly the, in the first panel. And then in the second panel, uh, Jean Grey is basically being held up by Wolverine. So she's she's getting into it, I guess. Yeah. like, but I, And she, she does say later that she kind of did get into it. Yeah. Uh, in the next panel, actually, she says, where where is it? Oh, well, I thought it was in the next panel, but it's not. At some point she goes, that kiss, that kiss. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I should have. I should take my own advice. I'd forgotten the effect Wolverine had on me. That kiss blasted him. That kiss. Yes. So apparently, it was. It was a pretty good kiss. Well, it's Wolverine. He's had. He's had centuries to practice. I suppose. <laughs> we don't know that yet, though. But she does scram him away with her powers and says, "I'm nobody's property, Wolverine." I won't be fought over or manhandled, even by somebody I once considered a friend. He takes a dig at Cyclops, who's like, let her go, mister. And he's like, what? You need more than one redhead? You got a wife, member? Yeah. Well, it's true. It is true. To be fair, Cyclops deserves that. He doesn't really have, uh, you know, uh, anywhere to stand on this issue. He should, <laughs> he should probably just stand back and let the things play out the way they're going to. Uh, Jean thinks to herself that the X-Men are all dead. Don't understand it. The kiss, the kiss, as you said. Uh, and then she kind of uh, reconciles everything and says, Iceman, Beast, the Goblin Queens, who we're after. Storm, control your people. So And Scott, control yourself. <laughs> kind of a weird thing to say to Scott. Scott, a lot of this is your fault. <laughs> not not going to lie or soft sell this. Um, so but Iceman and Beast do go after Madeline, who again, remember, is not in Goblin Queen garb. She's helpless Madeline Pryor in her flight gear. Alex, X-Men, for mercy's sake, they want my baby. They won't get you, hun. Well, I'm around, says Havoc, as he blasts Beast and Iceman off of their impending ice slide. 
Havok points out that, uh, you know, this isn't Charles Xavier's dream. You're hunting down mutants for money. That's disgusting. What's wrong with you? Iceman's like, yeah, that was so last week. We're different now. Which is really what I what I was thinking. So I'm glad somebody said it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's um, understandable that the X-Men probably aren't really watching the news or understand what's happening here. Why not? They've just been hanging around in Australia. They've got plenty of time to be watching the news. Well, I'm sure Madeline and her Goblin Queen guys has like blocked out all U.S. channels or any news of X Factor. Actually, just just the other day, before she became the Goblin Queen, she saw Scott on TV. That's that's how this whole thing started. Oh, well, okay, so fine. Madeline's the only one watching TV (laughs) in Australia. All the other X-Men are too busy practicing or rollerblading in gold outfits. TV's for jumps. (laughs) um yep and so iceman attempts to explain that as a smoke screen to rescue mutants and blah blah but the x-men they don't believe them just like it's impossible for gene to deny the truth my senses tell me you loved that kiss darling which i gotta ask what senses are the ones that tell you whether or not a woman likes a kiss i can smell it (laughs) (laughs) I i can smell that you want more that is just so creepy on so many levels. <laughs> yes, to which Gene's like, "Eh, gross. <laughs> Whatever feelings I may have had are completely gone," <laughs> which explains why she's cuddled up to Cyclops here. I can't keep him away Ugh, from me. <laughs> gross security. Um, Angel he chimes in because we know Angel's never really liked Wolverine. He says, "I was right about you from the start. You the years haven't taught you anything. Gene's spoken for." I know the rest, Flyboy, even if she wasn't, she's still too good for the likes of me. And then he kind of uh, berserkers out. But before that, he thinks to himself, Angel has sensed something about it. Familiar, pain, sweet mercy, the pain. Now, I was wondering, maybe you have some insight on this. Maybe not. Um, Is this like a reference that Apocalypse has something to do with Wolverine's adamantium process because at this point we don't know anything about how he got the adamantium laced skeleton no idea my my thought is that uh, Chris Claremont was probably like "Ooh, this is a little thing I can just insert here and maybe we'll pick it up later I guess I guess maybe maybe it does get picked up later for all I know I yeah I guess I don't know my assumption is that apocalypse has nothing to do with Wolverine but I could be wrong it would be uh, it would have been a neat turn, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how I would have felt about that. doesn't matter. I'm, that's the only thing that makes sense with this, like, familiar pain, sweet mercy, the pain. Or maybe I'm just reading into it the way that I want to, but yeah, that's what I get out of it. Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure uh, Chris Claremont has no idea. Maybe. I don't know. Where is Weapon X? Weapon X is quite a few years. Well, it's at least two years away from the events of the story. In real time. So I find it hard to believe that he had any inkling of that storyline. But I mean, you could look into it and say that the transformation and the pain of the transformation is the familiar part. But honestly, I'm guessing that there was very little thought in this. And it was just more (laughs) of a, eh, well, maybe we'll pick that up later. Let's just drop this in here real quick. I wonder. Yeah. And And I'll never find out. Probably not. I, I mean, I too stopped when I re- uh, read that and was like, what is he talking about? 
At any rate, he dive bombs uh, Angel, but Angel has adamantium blades uh, on his new wings, which still doesn't make any sense to me. Are they adamantium? Like, Are you sure? Well, they if they're not now, they will be. Okay. Um, what does he have to go collect all of these after they the, the, the just recoup? He they there's it's part of his new mutant abilities is to automatically create. Uh, flechettes that apparently have uh, short-circuiting nerve system paralyzing juice on them. And then, like, and then just kind of hang out in the ground? Do they dissolve when they're done? Uh, Yeah. I mean, kids come along and collect them, and they're like, ooh, X-Factor is here! I got an angel flechette! You think there's a story about there, about the angel flechette collector who, like, stalks Angel... Uh, hoping to get more flechettes for his collection. This month in Marvel Comics Presents, we see a story from Damage Control. It would have been an interesting storyline for them to be like, oh, darn it, I'm on angel flechette duty again. <laughs> Every time I touch them, my whole body short circuits. I got to wear gloves. Those dang flechettes. They're good <laughs> for shaving, though. Yeah. Uh, so then Brogue flies in and tackles Angel, and she's like, I'm going to take your power. But then she gets a vision of Apocalypse Angel, which is weird. And to think I used to think you were cute. Yeah, so she subordinate consciousness blurred in with angels, power like I've only rarely encountered, but such evil. Um, I guess the implication is that there's still there's still a Apocalypse conscious inside of Angel. Uh, maybe that there's untapped uh, untapped potential for power and or evil, maybe? This feels like an untapped potential for a storyline. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he is unaffected by this and pushes Rogue away. Get away from me, you tramp! Psych! Nail her! And he does. Iceman um, decides to chill everybody out. Angel, chill out, buddy. Apocalypse gave you that death persona, but you're free of him now. You don't need to start acting the part. He thinks to himself, is it really is a part? In some way, Warren's as much a stranger as the, these X-Men are. The way they look and act makes me think that they really are bad guys. Is that how they see us? My powers suck. <laughs> Maybe freezing them in place will give them a chance to sort everything out. And we know how well that works always. <laughs> Never. And and this is a weird thing, too, because Havix uses his powers to immediately melt all of the ice, which is, I guess, reasonable. But then it turns into like a flash flood, which is a lot of water. Yeah, well. A ridiculous amount of water. Angel. Like three pages worth of water. <laughs> yeah, that, it becomes a, a like a story plot line here for, for a little while. Uh, yeah, so, so Central Park, where I think they are, uh, is flooded. Um, Dazzler is, I don't know, primping or something. And, and then she starts complaining about the water. Yeah. Dazzler's evil version of herself seems to be super self-absorbed. Yep. Um, and I guess long shots also is super self-absorbed. Yeah. So she feels like somebody has tripped her, but it's long shot. He gets up. He's very self-confident, very full of himself. And he's like, care to make anything of it? And she's at first like, no, no, no. And then he winks at her, and she's all like, yes, yes, yes. And then they make out. Your eye, that glow makes me feel, okay, lover, don't say I didn't warn you. 
And this is like the, the the thread of uh, Dazzler and Longshot in this is all over the place. Like they never pick up from this. They're just next time we see them, they'll be doing something else. Yeah. Uh, everybody needs something to do. It's a two pager. I guess. I guess it's because it's a double sized issue. We we just fill fill the pages. So now Madeline is being carried away by the water. And so Cyclops goes to get her out of the water. Like she is she standing in this panel because it's up to, if it she is it's up to her shoulders. Yeah. That's a lot of water. She is either floating on her back and being super dramatic about what's happening or which yeah. is a possibility. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of show going on here, but definitely it's drawn as though it's up to her neck and she's just keeping her and the baby afloat. What are Beast and Marvel Girl doing in the background? <laughs> uh, where's Beast? I see Marvel Girl. Beast is, isn't that Beast beneath Marvel Girl? Oh, it is. He's climbing out like, of the water. He looks like he's drowning. Yeah. The pro- swimming is not one of my natural abilities. I'm going to be honest. The the proportions are so weird that I thought he was just some of the landscape. <laughs> <laughs> Until you pointed out that that's Beast. Uh, now I see it. So, yeah, uh, Cyclops says, Gene, you see to the others, make sure no one's swept away. So there's just, there's a god-awful amount of water. I'll take care of Madeline. And Gene says, I'll just bet you will. Yeah. Where were you the night I really needed you? And the marauders kidnapped my son, gunned me down, and left me for dead. What are you talking way, about? It, you know, I just realized it wasn't Gene that said that. It was Madeline. Who says what? I, I'll just bet you will. For some reason, because of that, oh. you see that little like triangle that's above the, the 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 uh, balloon line. I think you're right. I think I always thought that as well. Like like yeah. like Gene's all like whatever. Yeah, but but it's not. Nope, it's all coming from Madeline, which makes a lot more sense. It sure does. Uh, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" And this is when Havoc comes along for a little brother on brother action. He's like, "Get away from her, Cyclops!" Madeline, I didn't know. She doesn't care. She doesn't think it would have made a difference. You're hurting me. You always are, but nothing changes. It only gets worse because you do it again. Havoc comes up and and he's got evil mask on, like his little cowl stripes, whatever you call those things that go around his head. They're like like horns now. And he's like, let her be, Scott. Haven't you done enough? Stay out of this, little brother. It's none of your concern. Yep. You swore an oath, Scott. You lied. Also, I slept with your wife. And that's when Nastir shows up behind Madeline, who's out of the water. But I guess that's plausible because she's a goblin queen. I believe at this point there is no more water. I think you're. It looks like it's gone. The plot needs no more water, so the water has gone. Or We're done with the water pages. Or maybe Nastir took care of it. <laughs> He's like a, a vacuum for water. This is the issue where I was talking about, uh, nobody actually says like, oh, he's red now, but uh, Cyclops does say, Nastir, but he's changed. Madeline, look out behind you. Uh, kind of midway through the story in the comic. And then we get a transmode virus description again. Organic circuitry, the ultimate living sentient magical computer. He knocks out Alex and Scott and then sends Gene's parents after Gene. Mom, Dad, don't! And then we get a close-up of Madeline. What's the problem, dear? All you have to do to save yourself is kill them. If you don't, though, they'll most certainly slaughter you. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was thinking, based on this panel, do you think a young 
Nicole Kidman would have made a good Jean Grey. Yeah. I, mean, I can't I can't imagine her as a uh like an action movie actor. Um Who just cuz I I don't I don't know that she's ever done anything like that. Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Uh, I mean Jean's character shouldn't really be actiony. She should float. She should like hold out her arms to indicate telekinesis. So I I don't know. I don't know. I struggle with that uh with that. I struggle with who should play Madeline Pryor. But I can see the likeness to Nicole Kidman in this last panel of Madeline, which is what I think you're seeing. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This panel is what made me think that I probably had never thought that before. But then I was thinking she could she, she might be able to pull off a decent Jean Grey slash Madeline Pryor. Did Did you see Dark Phoenix? I did not see Dark uh, Phoenix. Okay. Well, I don't. Um, she's not uh, the, the woman that I can't remember. Um, Sansa. Yeah, Sansa. <laughs> she is not, in my book, Madeline Pryor. She's a fine actress, but I don't know who plays. You, you mean Jean Grey? Who did I say? Yeah, yeah, I meant Jean. Spoilers: Grey. Madeline Pryor's in Dark Phoenix. Oh, that would have made for such a better movie in my book. Uh, <laughs> but like I've said, Framka Jansen, I didn't really, I don't really like her as Jean either. She's also a fine actress, but I, I don't know, struggle with the with the casting of all those characters, to be quite honest. In the first X-Men movie? All of them, really. Other than Wolverine. I think that's the reason that they kept using Wolverine is because they kind of nailed it with him and everybody else is like, actually, I take that back. Uh, 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 Anna Nicole Smith. No. Uh, what's her name? Sookie. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? Did you not re- watch the vampire show on HBO? The I saw the... the oh, uh... The girl who played Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you thought she was good as Rogue? I thought so, yeah. And she was she was a little too young, I think. I don't know. I, I think I think you get hung up on the height, right? Because yeah, in, the, maybe. in the comic, Rogue is like seventeen or eighteen years old, but she looks like she's six feet tall. And uh what's her face? Whose name is escaping? actress whose name we can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh she's like five two or something. She's not that short, but uh, pretty short. Anyways, uh, so back to the the comic, um, and of course, uh, uh, Charles Xavier, Patrick Stewart. That that's like perfect casting. Yeah, <clears throat> that was good casting. And, and uh, on the on the opposite side, uh, what's his name as Magneto is also good. Yep, Ian McKellen. Although yep, Michael Fassbender also a great Magneto. Michael Fassbender is a great actor. I don't know that he made a he made a great young Magneto. I guess maybe I don't know about great. I don't know. He can pull off anything. They should do an X-Men movie with Michael Fassbender as all the parts. <laughs> yeah, you, you might get more range out of all the characters than, than we all <laughs> ended up getting for, for the majority of these movies. But that's uh, eh, a different story. It's a different podcast all, all together. Anyways, uh, Dazzler and Longshot, they're all like, Red's in trouble. Longshot's like, ours or theirs? There's. See, last we last we saw them, they were making out. Now they're running away. But well, well the yeah. water's gone, so they they get up <laughs> and they're going to spring into action. And uh, you know, Dazzler's like, ah, oh, she could probably use a hand, referring to Jean. And Longshot's like, what'd she ever do for us? Come on, let's find some real action. Let's go. So it looks like they're running away, but then in the next page, they're fighting Beast. So I guess their real action was to find somebody else to fight. I guess so. I don't know. I, I, I am very confused by their 
everything that they do in this comic book. I think I think Chris Claremont and uh, uh, Mark Silvestri had things to do for everybody but these two. And they're like, ah, shoot, we really need to pencil these people in. I like everything about this issue except the, the Dazzler Longshot stuff keeps taking me out of it. And I'm just like, what are we doing with these characters? Uh, there's a piece that I, I don't mind. It's it's later uh, okay. that, that refers back to this. But again, it you know, doesn't matter. Uh, Madeline now she's still in her flight gear, but she, she kind of looks away from Cyclops and she's got evil expression on, uh, and she, she looks, uh, well, she's looking towards Jean, I would, uh, assume. And she's like, this just isn't your day, is it dear? And You're enjoying this. How could you say such a thing? You've got Madeline, to stop. You've got to stop. Dear heart, I've barely begun. The best is yet to come. My ride is here and it's Nastir in like a goblin coach with a bunch of teeth everywhere and unicorn purple unicorns that breathe fire yeah you know which is how you would expect it's demon a, horses to be i would really like to see this mocked up by like a mcfarland toys or uh mm-hmm. who's the other whatever one of the other so i don't i mean it wouldn't sell <laughs> i'd be the only one probably buying it but <laughs> Wait, it, would you buy one for 60 dollars? if they if they, yeah yeah I mean, what's what? What size are we talking about? Is it like eighteen inches from horse to the rear tire? Uh, well, then we're talking like a hundred and twenty dollars or something. Uh, yeah. The bigger it gets, the more expensive it is. I mean, if if somebody mocked this thing up, I might spring like eighty bucks for it, depending on the size of it and and the amount of like articulation and detail. Again, that six people on the planet would buy this because they'd be like, everybody else would be like, I have no idea what this is. Well, would it come with Madeline Pryor or? Uh, perhaps Jean Grey in order to get some sales? Uh, I know who Jean Grey is. <laughs> I don't know. Optional? don't know. It could come with Madeline kind of in the pose where it looks like she's helpless and the uh, carriage is diving right towards her. But we know that she's kind of in control here. Is she, the, holding, is she still holding a baby at that point? Because there could be like a Nathan baby. Yeah. They could put on the uh, on, on the packaging comes with baby cable <laughs> she says time to choose lover cyclops is like whoa and the <laughs> choice is does she die by the goblin or by nastir i guess or does uh, do jean's goblin parents eat her who who is she who is he going to save uh well he he chooses to save jean um, but then later, well, uh, hang on, I, I, but before right, we go there, right. I, I feel like it's not really much of a choice here. Like they just spent an issue fighting her de- demonic possessed self and they really haven't done any work here to establish that Cyclops is still like, no, Madeline is still inside there somewhere. She's just corrupted. Well, yeah. And I, and I think that's sort of the point is that of course he's going to choose Jean and I think she's kind of rubbing that in that even though this choice is obvious, he, she's still choosing Gene, just like he always chooses Gene. It's just more guilt complex for Scott. Sure. I, I can get by on that. Yeah. And he, so he says, no, forgive me. And he zaps away Gene's uh, parents. Um, I don't know why he says forgive me because he has a plan. But before he reveals his plan, um, Madeline hops aboard the, 
uh, rocket ship racing carriage. The horses appear to have disappeared. Oh, I guess they're off panel. Yep. And then Alex uh, jumps onto the back of the uh, carriage. Carriage going like a rocket must be a must be crazy to try this stunt. And then Scott, who is now facing away from the carriage and headed towards Gene, says, "Blast you, brother! I had a shot at disabling the carriage till your grandstand play blocked my line of fire." Why didn't you trust me? I could have saved her as well. You guys buy that, right? <laughs> I was totally going to save both of them. <laughs> this is my plan all along. Guys? Guys? Uh, Jean, uh, she wonders her parents. How could she about Madeline transforming her parents and having them attack her? It's mostly tears and scratches, Scott. I'm a lot more angry than hurt. If that witch wants a knockdown drag out, I'll give her that and then some. And this is where we get a call back to what happened a little earlier. She's like, but those two, Dazzler and Longshot, I've never met them, but I do know their names. They were in trouble. I was in trouble and they simply turned their back. Uh, dear, you haven't noticed that all of the X-Men are kind of fighting us and possessed and weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Cyclops is kind of level-headed and is like, well, I mean, assuming they really are Dazzler and Longshot. Again, I've never met Longshot, but uh, I met Dazzler once. I trained her. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Remember in the issue in the issue of Dazzler? I went over to Dazzler and me and Wolverine trained her, so, you know. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, none of them looks or acts like X-Men. For all we know, they're demon simulacrums. Conjured as part of this nightmare that's possessed Manhattan. Whoever or whatever, they're siding with Madeline. Um, Can't deal with her until we take care of them. Gene says, what are we waiting for, lover? We are the original X-Men. Past time we show these cheap copies what that means. And Cut to the carriage running through Manhattan, and we get a, a guy walking to work going, day, night, work, 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 never ending grind, never a break. Boss has got us coming and going like sheep. And his, his fellow worker next to him is a sheep and goes, bah. He's a sheep with the devil's I, tail. <clears throat> so I like this panel I, yeah, and everything, and I like this, the sen the sentiment and everything. But what I want to know is, um, are these really people who are possessed and aren't noticing what's happening around them, or are they goblins? I think... In Chris Claremont's inversion of Inferno, they're real people that are being possessed, but nobody else picked up on that tip. I think you're right. I think I like the Chris Claremont idea way better of like all this crap is happening. The heroes are more or less like, like, oh, something weird is happening. We have to deal with it. And everybody else is just possessed or under a spell and just just going through it. But yeah, no, nobody else... Uh, writing inferno seems to get that i mean i haven't i could i could be wrong but i don't think i've encountered that in any of the other inferno tie-ins either yep so anyhow <clears throat> uh just, havoc still is hanging on to the back of the carriage uh, carriage carriage and uh pieces of his costume are breaking away <sighs> from him and they roll up to the giant building he's like my lord is that the empire state building uh, Jean or Madeline gets out of the carriage. She's now in her Goblin Queen garb. Madeline, you look so. That a problem? Dot, dot, dot. Scott and Jean, were they right about you? Does it matter? 
hey, my outfits happened to tear up into an exact looking version of your outfit. <laughs> now the bottom of my boobs are hanging out too. <laughs> he says, and no. What's, what's with this loincloth with no underwear? <laughs> I don't, I feel kind of exposed. Uh, he says, no, I swore I'd stand by you to the end. And I'm one of the summers, I'm one summer's brother who keeps his promises. Spoken lover like a true goblin prince. So he's all evil now. Meanwhile, uh, Colossus shows up. Colossus is back from his adventures in New Mutants Land. And he's I left like, behind my sister who just turned into a little girl again to come and say, don't go in there, guys. <laughs> yes, I gave her to these teenagers who are taking her back to the mansion. It should be fine. Probably. Uh, I am not good at seeing things through. <laughs> so yeah, he, he runs up to the base of um, the Empire State Building, which slams its doors in something that's reminiscent of Castle Grayskull, if you ask me. Yeah, it's like teeth doors. Yeah, man. Uh, and they're like, uh, my friends, you are allying yourself with demons. And like, yeah, uh, they're the winners. Your sweetling sister, Ileana, fought for chance, her chance for glory. These two embrace it with all their hearts. So I think this is the Empire State Building talking to Colossus. I think it's Nastir uh, talking, right. talking through the Empire State Building. But yeah, I mean, sort of. <laughs> So he said, uh, "That's uh, not so long ago. Uh, not so long as Colossus has life and strength to stop him." So he starts to scale the side of the Empire State Building, which, on a good day, like a normal day, is a pretty tall building. Now it's like twice as tall. Like it's going to take him a month to get up there. It's like four times as tall. I know. Well, yeah. Meanwhile, back in the park, uh, somebody throws a snowball at Longshot. I wonder who it is. <laughs> and uh Longshot's very upset and says you made me look bad in front of my girl so he to, to Iceman the person that threw the snowball so he throws a bunch of flushettes because everybody's got flushettes uh, do you think he's picking them all off the ground and he's like I, I just realized where I've been getting all my flushettes from <laughs> he's been picking this whole time wait uh Longshot has existed longer than Archangel not by much did you say Archangel and not Archangel? Either way. Archangel. Archangel. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so I think that Archangel has been stocking up on long shots flechettes this whole time. That's definitely possible. Maybe they're like back and forth. They're <laughs> just trading back and forth. Hey, Why? guys. We got I always assume that Longshot had a finite number of flechettes and he, had, he has to go collect his, whereas... Archangels are more magical in that he doesn't need to collect them. They just continue to reappear. It certainly it, seems that way. Maybe when they finally land, they teleport back into his wings. That would be pretty sweet. Let's go with that. Okay. So after the flechettes are thrown at Iceman, Beast picks up a rock and throws it. To which uh, Rogue pulls a tree out of the ground and hits it away like a baseball. This is where the issue kind of gets a little silly. About time y'all woke up and smelled the coffee fuzzy. The fuzzy coffee? Gross. What you call your best ain't gonna be nowhere near good enough. We ain't like your other victims, X-Factor. We won't go quietly into whatever concentration camp you got for mutants. The X-Men protect our own. We don't cage them. 
So it's at this point that the X-Men amp up their evilness. Uh, Wolverine's little cowl spikes get even longer. Uh, well, long... He wasn't even wearing his mask before, so he like he found his mask. It was like these my my cowl things are longer. Cool. So you got Longshot and Dazzler who are pinning uh, Cyclops down, and they're egging him on, like "Say, Uncle, you just say it." And Havoc's like, oh, "Fine, I got Uncle." They don't uh, Cyclops. Go. Cyclops says that. He, Iceman's chasing Wolverine around. Can't really do Wolfie any damage, but this should keep him away from the others. Uh, ah, ice. <laughs> Dazzler and Longshot debate whether or not they should let Cyclops go, even though he said uncle, and they wonder if he should just say uncle again. They're crazy, treating this like some schoolyard crap. Well, to Wolverine, or schoolyard scrap, well, to Wolverine, it's war. Yeah, Wolverine slashes at Iceman's ice uh, slide, and Angel flies into Wolverine, knocking him off balance, and they start fighting. Angel cuts down a tree. Meanwhile, Storm hasn't really been a factor at all. She flew way up above all of this. And she's thinking about that. It's like, why do I remain above it all? I have often imagined how miraculously Gene and I might meet again. But even the wildest fantasy was never like, eh? Mm -hmm. She sees the butt. She says, the Empire State Building, my vision blurring it when I look towards it. I see that butt from the other dimensional Earth where Forge and I were exiled by his ancient adversary. And she flashes... Back. All the mutants. Yeah. She flashes back to that memory. She's wondering what the significance is. And we flash to the top of the Empire State Building. I'm wondering what the significance is, too, because I don't know. I don't know that it ever really gets talked about or brought back. Oh. <laughs> it's one of those. I feel like it. Or maybe it's just enough to be like, hey, we're, we're evil. <laughs> this reminds me that we should be good. Oh. Well. I, I don't know. That could have been more clear, but <laughs> I'm just guessing. I agree. But I, I like that. I, I if it doesn't if it doesn't have any significance anywhere else, I like that that at least is a significance. I don't think it has significance anywhere else. I could be wrong. I mean, maybe in the next issue of X Factor of X Men, the butt will come in and be like, "Oh, that's why she mentioned it." But I, I feel like not. It was the butt that made me change my mind about being bad. Uh, so yeah, H- Havoc and Madeline are on the top of the Empire State Building. Nastir is up there. Nastir, Nastir is saying that he needs to cast this last critical spell uh, a certain time. Madeline asserts her control and says, I'm, I'm in charge here. This is my party. Remember, I'll do as I please. And she snaps her fingers after Nastir says, we gotta, we gotta do this before a certain amount of time or we won't have the chance. You got to do it by dawn or else right. they'll lose the chance. I like how they make the little um, altar uh, in the visage of Nastir, I assume. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess so. A little e- evil demon uh, altar. And that makes sense. That's why the building was talking in the voice of Nastir. Uh, and uh, Nastir is like, I couldn't have even done that. Well, we still need to sacrifice something. Basically, Nathan. Madeline uh, is totally cool sacrificing her son. No doubt about it. The kid's a charmer, she says as she watches the uh, parents of Jean Grey coddling the child. 
Just like his old man, I'll take him. Scrappy, too, and tough. Not a cry out of him. Doesn't even look scared. I wonder what... I wonder that come from Scott or me. Should have just been you and me, kiddo, from the start. Too bad it didn't work out. And that's when Gene yells, Scott, the baby, he's there calling out to me. My Lord, I can see it in his thoughts. How can Madeline... She's his mother. Scott, she means to kill him. And that's when Madeline's like, wow, I heard that you reached out. You thought to Jean, I'm your mother, you ungrateful wretch. <laughs> I did all the work, but she gets all the glory. Yeah. Why must she always take what is mine? And then Nastir quotes Shakespeare, I think. Um. Yes, he does. Yeah. Okay. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Uh, why must she always take what's mine, Madeline thinks. Nastir says, you exist. Creation, my lady, is not big enough for the pair of you. In that case, she's past due for her final exit. I'll cast your spell, Nastir. Everything and uh, you desired and more. But first, I want Jean Grey's heart and her head and her soul. I don't know if you have her heart. You don't really need her head. I can still why you see see what my why you still might want her soul though. So Rogue and Jean are fighting. Uh, a gust of wind swoops Jean up into the air. I think Jean is getting prepared to fight with Storm, but Storm is, I guess, level headed now. She's like, "Is it you? The only me that ever was." I saw you go to your death. And I saw you die in Dallas. I guess that makes us even. Question is, does that make us us? That's when the tides change and she says, it is good to see you alive, Jean. And they embrace. They're very happy to see one another. Nastir shows up and he's like, what? This isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> the Goblin Queen has commanded me to take your heart, head, and soul. Yeah, so, Jean Grey. So here, here I come. But Storm casts some lightning against Nastir. Angel shows up and shoots some flechettes at uh, Nastir, but he is able to have them pass through him by, I don't know, moving some computer chips around. Sure. I gather. Yeah. He's kind of like the T-1000. Yeah. Imagine that. Uh, for some reason, Gene and Storm are now falling straight down. Uh, because they get hit by the, I guess they get, I, I don't know. They, it seems like they get hit by the flechettes, but they're not like cut or anything. Oh yes. I got you. The flechettes go through Nastir and head, well, in the middle of Storm and Jean. So maybe that throws them off balance and now they're falling super fast. Able uh, to think, but not act. Jean, same. Cannot use powers to break our fall. It's really too bad they didn't have enough pages to, you know, flesh this out a little bit more. <laughs> Could have gotten rid of some of that long shot story. <laughs> um, Nastir says, fear not, ladies. I've got better plans for you than mere death. Uh, she's going to infect him with the transmode virus and make them her, his slaves. But Rogue is like, all right, I'm, I'm a good guy now, too. And she saves both Jean and Rogue, or Storm, rather. She tosses them. To Angel? She she's she's going to go take a turn with Nasty. Angel catches Gene, and Beast catches Storm. Little little teamwork, little old school teamwork there. Uh, Rogue flies up to Nastir, and uh, she he's like, that's a foolish move. Uh, so she starts to absorb his power, and he starts to trans turn her into the transmode virus. 
But it turns out, as she explains, because she's already made out with Magus way back in an issue that they do not tell us what issue it was, but I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, she is immune to the virus, and the longer that she holds on to Nastir, the weaker he'll get until she possesses all his power. Uh, Madeline surveys all that's happening, and she's like, oh, Nastir, you can't do anything right. And this is when Colossus, it's been two months, I guess. So Colossus makes it to the top. <laughs> At last, Mad, uh, uh, yeah. She says a facile rationalization meddling for murder. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Inferno is nature's way of clearing out the world's dead wood. And, and that's when Colossus says a facile wrestle, rationalization meddling for murder. Guys. Just stay right there. I'm really tired. And I'll be right over there. <laughs> the, I guess a little bit more kind of classic teamwork. Uh, I mean, he does make it. Colossus makes it all the way to the top. Havoc is like, uh, you got to go and blasts him with plasma. Uh, but I just beam. got here. <laughs> that was a long climb. He goes flying and Iceman sees it and he's like, ooh, I bet you I could use uh, his velocity to an advantage and he creates a giant ice slide that aims Colossus right at Nastir who is still with Rogue. So Colossus but, says, "Wee!" And there's a thing where magical beings cannot abide the touch of iron and since Colossus's body is composed of ultra dense organic steel, the crash proves almost as fatally disruptive to the demon lord as it seems for one of the X-Men's teammates. And uh, Nastir even says, by the maker, that metal brute, his soul so noble and pure, he is barely affected by the Goblin Queen's Inferno. I dare not let him near me. His merest touch is agony. So this sort of implies that the reason that the X-Men are uh, changing into more demonous is that they already have some darkness in their souls, whereas Colossus and presumably all of X-Factor and Power Pack and Spider-Man and Daredevil and every other crossover uh, are are pure of soul. So it's, it's just the uncanny X-Men that are not. I like to interpret this as prolonged exposure to Madeline has slowly I, I, corrupted the X-Men. Whether or I not know. that was the original intention or not, uh, it works. <laughs> but what about Colossus? He's just too too noble. He's too noble and pure. He had a okay. couple side missions. Remember that whole thing with uh, the 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 robot thing in Marvel Comics Presents. I think chronologically that takes place after this, but I don't. I mean, chronologically it could take place anywhere, so I guess it doesn't matter. Chronologically, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, <clears throat> I Jeremy, I looked it up on the internet, and I believe that that takes place after issue two hundred and seventy two. <laughs> yes. Uh, unless this is some sort of <laughs> alternate reality. <laughs> it's, what? It's not. Uh, so now the X-Men and the X-Factors are, they're, they're friends. The X-Factors? The X-Factors like and the X-Men. They're the X-Factors. <laughs> We're the X-Factors. Uh, uh, steer disappears saying, savor the, your pathetic little victory. This a battle is not the war, mutants. And he poofs away. And yes. So they're, they're about to team up. Uh, Cyclops says, but how do we fight them? None of us in X-Factor has ever encountered a techno-organic being. 
we've no idea of the capabilities. <clears throat> so Storm has Psylocke link everybody's minds. Uh, I think amplify or augment Gene's powers. And uh, they teach everybody about Magus and the techno-organic virus. So for, uh, so for whatever reason, I guess Psylocke says that she can't connect everybody the way that she normally does because Inferno is inhibiting her powers. So Storm suggests that she use Jean as a way to augment and amplify her own powers using Jean's powers. Jean initially has uh, doesn't want to do it, but then once Psylocke is inside her head, she's like, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten how beautiful this is. And then she shares the whole Magus adventure with everybody, and as soon as she's out... Jean says, Psylocke's withdrawn her support. The light in my mind of the others, they're going out. I'm hollow again. Uh, Beast snaps his fingers and says, I have a brilliant idea. And so Jean levitates Colossus into the air. And uh, Colossus is completely inappropriate here. Peter, you are a lot more, or Peter, you're a lot more massive than I remember. <laughs> As you are even more beautiful. <laughs> she called me massive. <laughs> To which I'm like, come on. Well, that's Peter. I mean, that's that's not out of character for Peter. I guess. It's just a, it's just weird. Like, I've been meaning to say this for a while, but uh, you're even more beautiful than I remember. Well, you know, it's... it's is, this, Peter, is, is this bad timing? <laughs> Peter's not saying it out of any sort of romantic feelings. Oh, he's of course just, not. I know, but... He's it's, just being a, an honest, good old boy. It, it's just... It's oddly placed commentary. But either way, it's fine. It's cool. Uh, so, yeah, he gets lifted up in the air. Cyclops zaps him uh, in the butt to launch Rich. him into the air. He gains more momentum when Storm uses some wind power to accelerate him. And now Angel does a real fastball special. Because you remember there was a fake fastball special in the pages of X Factor. Uh, but he does yeah, a wasn't that like a snowball special? It was stupid is what it was. <laughs> um, so so uh, Angel throws uh, Wolverine up after him. Colossus blasts through the, uh, I don't know. Okay, so there's a little mountain at the top of the Empire Strikes Build, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and top of the Empire State Building, uh, the thing that, Madeline created was a little like pier of sorts. I, I, I don't know what it is. I really wish there was an Empire Strikes Back building. <laughs> there probably is. <laughs> you so have to go sweet. to Star Wars Celebration to go to the Empire Strikes Back building. Sure. So so they're on this little uh, cliff side that was that Madeline created off of the top of the Empire State building. I'm gonna call and it now, I'm gonna call it an outcropping. Okay. So <laughs> Colossus bursts through the outcropping. Yeah. If that's what we're calling it. Yeah. And immediately he gets sucked into the wall because it turns out the wall of the Empire State Building is coated in demons. That have fangs that are dripping acid and burning through his armored body. Oh, man, that's rough. Yeah. Wolverine uh, catches up and slams into the back of Nastir um, with his adamantium claws as you do and then angel picks up dazzler and brings her up to the top of the empire state building where she blasts at colossus i guess the wall behind colossus which frees colossus 
brilliant shooting, Alison. I am grateful. You look so beautiful. <laughs> Everybody beautiful in this issue. Uh, Storm flies up and holding Iceman. Um, and she... I'll be... Yeah, so Iceman starts generating super cold ice. And covers the entire Empire State Building. And I, and I guess that um, the point of Storm doing that is that her elemental powers can protect her from the super cold that Iceman is about to create. So, you know, more, more, more of the plan coming together. So what happened with the whole Iceman, his powers being over-amplified unless he wore a particular belt? Well, he's wearing his inhibitor belt, isn't he? Is that is that still a thing? I, I I didn't know it not to be a thing, but now that you mention it, I don't think I've seen him with his inhibitor belt this whole issue. They haven't really been talking about it. Presumably he is not wearing his inhibitor belt when he covers the entire Empire State Building, which, as we can clearly see, is enormous. Mm-hmm. Like we see we see a cityscape where the tallest buildings don't even come up to half the size of the Empire State Building. Yeah, it's huge. It's a it's a massive amount of ice. <clears throat> and, it's massive, and it's also beautiful. Yep. Uh, and that's when 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 I watch Bobby cut loose like that, Scott, I find myself wondering if he could freeze the entire world. I think that's Gene that says that. Uh, Mutants possess so much power. Is there any wonder they fear us? So much for summer, says Beast. Not to worry, lovely ladies. You've got the Beast fur coat and blazing heart to keep the chill away. But evidently, this was part of Beast's plan. Like, you guys do all this, and I'm going to keep the chicks warm. <laughs> Rogue, you have no part in this plan. Dazzler, as soon as Angel's done bringing you up to blast Colossus free of the building, because I knew that would happen, you come back to me. Longshot, Psylocke, you stay in the back. Yeah, and what's weird is that Longshot and Psylocke uh, still have evil face on. Well, the X-Men are still moderately evil, as we'll we'll learn. Um, Fools, you haven't beaten me. Freezing me has made me stronger. You don't even know what you've done. Says Nastir as he is covered in an entire block of ice. I guess there's a whole, like thing about how cold computers work at ultimate efficiency and I'm thinking with it inconceivable speed if I could just get free of this ice man I got some super plans to take you guys down long shot is like brilliant plan wouldn't have been easier though to simply shoot ourselves ha (laughs) rogue dazzler and beast all say at the same time belt up long shot which I have to assume is also part of the plan because why else would they say belt up long shot? That's not like something that somebody normally says. No, I, I've never heard belt up before. I, I totally agree with you. I think somewhere along the line as they were going to the plan, um, Beast said to he said to all of them, he said, okay, at the right moment when Longshot says something dumb, I don't care who's around me, but if you're around me in unison, we all have to say belt up long shot. And everyone's like, what's that mean? He's like, I'm the smart one. Just say it. I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Belt up, long shot. <laughs> maybe, maybe, since all we can see uh, are his arms up, maybe his pants fell down. <laughs> <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the shoot ourselves comment. They're like, ah, long shot, belt up. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground. 
Uh, uh, Iceman says it's getting to be a habit my turning the Empire State Building into an Ipe sculpture. Has this ever happened before? Uh, there was a Christmas issue where they said Merry Christmas with ice around the Empire State Building, I think. How many issues ago was that? I don't know. Was that X-Factor or? It was X-Factor. Uh, was it X-Men issue four? No. Because if it was like X-Men issue four, that would be a cool re- back reference. No, I think it was a re- relatively recent issue of X-Factor. Okay. I, I think, wish they had a cliff note to let me know. I think uh, it was Iceman was cutting loose and like, what am I going to do with all this extra ice? And then they did like, Merry Christmas or something like that. Or an mm-hmm. ice ice um, baby. <laughs> no, I mean an ice sculpture of a Christmas tree uh, on top of the... Anyways, yeah. So Storm has been heating everything up. Uh, so, Storms enveloping the ice mountain in a band of equatorial heat. That's why we're sweltering. <laughs> Scott says to Gene, who probably knows. Yeah, I know, Scott. Um, when they come, <clears throat> going to be some wild weather when they come together. That's it, guys. As cold as it gets, virtually absolute zero. Dazzler, Colossus, hit them. And so Dazzler, Cyclops, uh, shoot at the ice and Colossus punches the ice and the whole thing cracks and the, it almost looks like the empire state building is about to fall, but it also might just be a weird angle. I think it's just a weird angle. Uh, you forgot that da- uh, Cyclops says Dazzler Colossus hit him long shot belt up. <laughs> Bless you human says a crazed Nastir for saving me the effort of freeing myself. Uh, I can offer you a quick death. And then he he stops. He's like, what's happening to me? The heat creating quantum increase in my resistance within my circuitry. Sable shards. This is agony. And the human air disrupting the synapse linkages. By the abyss, mutants, you will pay. Not this time, demon. Cyclops says, no, your lightning will only make him stronger. Precisely. Raw energy. Uh, Hurled with all my might in an already taxed system beyond endurance. Uh... And she blows him up. This is when we get that uh, cool lettering that I mentioned way back at the cover page. Mm-hmm. This, this has got uh, somebody, the letterist, whoever the letterist was. Tom Orzakowski. Was it? Tom Orzakowski. Okay. So Tom Orzakowski outdid himself. This is some cool lettering here. Otherwise known as the oars. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not the cow. He didn't like that. Uh, uh, mercy woman, I beg you, I will serve you. Spare me never, she says, and he blows up. Get out of here. Find cover. He's going to, uh, we get like a double explosion. I guess we get like kind of the, the explosion before the explosion where, where like if this was a, a Star Wars movie, everything would kind of be sucked in and then it blows outward. I feel like that's But only in the here. remastered version. Well, exactly. And there's a ring that shows up. It spins around everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boom. And then all of the buildings uh, have goblin faces, which is still pretty neat. Later. They're unable to find a sign of them. They're like, yeah, we did it. We stopped them. This is, I think, where the X-Men kind of go back to that evil. Like, from where I stand, the ladies took, uh, did the heavy work, says Rogue well, to Psylocke. They were always evil. They were just uh, working with the X-Factor because there was a greater evil. But as you know, I mean, Storm just killed Nastir. So 
whether or not that was the right thing to do, they're making it seem like it's a big deal. By rights, if Nastir was the primary progenitor of Inferno, its effects should have died with him, says Beast. Cyclops the says, The idea was to defeat Nastir Storm, not destroy him. The one could not be accomplished without the other. And without him, how do we restore Manhattan to normal? How do we find my son? I'm not going to answer the second question, but who is to say that this is not normal? Don't be ridiculous. You appointed, who appointed you judge, jury, and executioner? I am Storm. I lead the X-Men. That gives me the responsibility and the right. I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this voice. I'm going to stop now. Yeah, it's, it's a little offensive, Adam. <laughs> it's not offensive. It's, uh... It's just a whiny boys Cyclops. So the next panel is... I like is it the, offensive to all the whiny boys? Yes. The next panel I like very much, except for one detail, which I never noticed until recently. Uh, so they're kind of confronting each other. Cyclops and Storm are talking to one another. another uh, Marvel girl walks on, uh, kind of chiding Storm for her methods when a stupid-looking lasso <laughs> is thrown over her head. Yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jean wonders the price of victory and that's when the stupid lasso pulls her and she goes Urk. Storm's your foe Urk. Storm and Cyclops yell simultaneously Jean Madeline from off panel says forgotten about me lover hello lover Dazzler thinks she's been upstaged Longshot's like finally somebody worth fighting for um, Iceman says the stupidest thing ever. Guys, look who's up there. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we I think all, we, all, we all got eyes. I yeah, but I think I think he's not. He's referring to Havoc. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. But, but still, yeah. How? Yeah, we all, we all see that Iceman. <laughs> we can see him. Beast says, "How could you, lad?" Wolverine says, "How don't matter, Furball. Only what we do about it." Cyclops says, no, 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 no. Iceman says, I'm talking about Havoc. You guys see him, right? He's up there. He's right there. He's not with us. This whole time he's been up there. You see him? You guys see him, right? Madeline, as the Goblin Queen, says, now, X-Men, it's your turn. And at her feet, she's got Jean. And to her side, she's got Jean's parents as goblins holding the little baby. And behind the cloak is Goblin Prince Havoc. Do you see him? He's right there. <laughs> to be continued in X-Factor 38 and next in X-Men 243, part the fourth, Ashes. So that's strike the match, fan the flames, burn Ashes. And hopefully I'll remember not to bring it up again when we cover that issue in eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, that Inferno, it's... Uh kind of like on the penultimate chapters here it's still raging yeah. even oh. though it's sort of over like we got we got x factor we got x-men i can't remember if x factor has an aftermath episode or issue but but we'll find out i believe it does or or, it, or at the very least there's there's a annual story epilogue fantastic uh, no, no messages this, this month. That's okay. Cause we're running a little long, uh, but you can contact us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast at danger room. Go 
DangerRoomAtXMenPodcast.com is where you can email us. You can go out to iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcasts and subscribe to us. Call us, 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Or go out to www.patreon.com slash DangerRoom and become a patron of the Danger Room. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And just a couple more issues of comic books to talk about and one of the upcoming issues we should read off the names of all the patrons so far ah, and maybe maybe that'll uh maybe that'll spark some interest yeah yeah because everybody wants to hear their name on our podcast right yeah we used to do it for free but now you can pay us yeah that's kind of how podcasts work these days you know what infuriates me the most and this is something i I don't think we'll ever do a because we'll never be popular enough to do it but b because i think i'm morally opposed to that and that's when podcasts get popular uh, to the point where they put all of their old classic episodes behind stitcher paywalls i don't even yeah i i none of the podcasts i listen to thankfully do that although it's it's more and more popular. There's still quite a few podcasts that just kind of leave the whole back catalog sitting out there. Maybe they leave some embedded advertisements or, or whatever, which I think is fine. Uh, but but there are some podcasts that I was listening to, like back catalog-wise, and then all of a sudden one day they were gone, and I did some research, and I was like, what the heck? Like, now you have to sign up for Stitcher Premium to go listen to those episodes. I'm like, that is not the spirit of podcasts. Yeah, we've been sort of anti-advertisers, too. We've got a couple of offers, but we, we always say no. It doesn't really fit. But maybe we should start doing the advertisers. I mean, it would be all right to have, like, a bonus episode that gets downloaded and it has nothing to do with our podcast or, like, uh, a, an advertisement that plays before we even start talking. Yeah, those are easy to skip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as long as we get paid. Well, yeah, I mean, we I think I think we would definitely get paid. Yeah. There you go. I, I don't know why we're talking about that to you guys. <laughs> what do you think? Should we accept the money? Should, should we bombard you with advertisements because you don't have enough in your life? I don't think we'll ever be popular enough to bombard anybody with anything. But, you know, I'm sure it'll still be kind of annoying. Yeah. But anyways, uh, Excalibur, number six. It's an Inferno tie-in. It sure is. Um, It's kind of neat. Um. Uh, Rachel, she she kind of they're over in the UK, right? They don't really have any idea what's going on in Manhattan, but she gets a psychic glance of of things that are happening, and she senses Jean, uh, Madeline, Nastir, and the baby. She wakes up and uh, she screams out, "Nathan!" Which is weird. Well, she's met him. That's true. Was his name so... was his Nathan then? Was his name Nathan then? Uh, we can only assume because at that point he did not have a name. He was the baby. Yeah. Hang on, baby brother. I'm coming just like I promised. I'll save you. And she leaves the Excalibur lighthouse uh, much in disarray. There are several holes and several floors because for some reason she must be on like the bottom floor or something. She leaves Kitty uh, psychically altered, I guess, into... Uh, a baby somehow uh yeah she she has the phoenix force so let's just assume that she can do anything she wants but to a lesser it, degree than re- regular phoenix it more or less makes sense it's just kind of weird i'm fine with it it's weird it's weird uh excalibur stuff i think alan davis is driving this bus for the most part <laughs> 
I feel like drawing Kitty Pride in a baby bonnet this year. I'm not weird. It's part of the story. <laughs> uh, the weird thing about this continuity-wise is that the last time we saw, well, the last issue, Excalibur number seven, Brian was visiting uh, Courtney, whatever her name is, who <clears throat> she re- who had been corrupted by Saturnine. We're dropping that for now. <clears throat> yeah, I get, I get it, but it's, there's like no reference to it. Um, as far as I can tell, Brian and this whole uh, issue isn't like, what? That whole Saturnite thing's weird. Can't wait to get back to that. Well, you know, this is not a double-sized issue, so... <clears throat> true, true. This is this is just crammed full of story that matters. Um, yeah, and so that we get a little bit more drama between Nightcrawler and Captain Britain. Nightcrawler's pointing out how sexy uh, Megan is and that Captain Britain doesn't even notice and, and that he's a... Like Captain Britain's a jerk... And now they have to go. Well, to... I, don't, I don't. I don't think Nightcrawler thinks she's sexy. I think she's. He. He seems to imply that she's dressing sexy in a way that doesn't fit her personality. I guess. Yeah. 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 But she's doing this to impress Brian, and I'll bet he yeah. didn't even notice. And that's when he kind of flies off. He's like, "All right, let's go. Uh, Megan and Brian can fly us from <laughs> London to Manhattan, which you know, I guess is just across the ocean." Meanwhile, we get some odd story between Moira McTaggart and um, Callisto, which I don't understand. Like, they've time-traveled back to Nazi Germany, I guess? Or they're in an alternate reality or an alternate time? I don't know what's happening. Well, the last thing that we saw happen to them is they were on a train. We learned in this that they were the only passengers on the train. Um, The robot dude made a portal. Right. Yeah, so... So it is implied that... It, it uh, the train was replaced by a different train from an alternate reality. That's what I got out of it. Uh, from the so, insignia, it's clear that this train originated in a temporal continuum, so alternate reality. But that's when we see, oh, maybe we see alternate reality versions of Moira McTaggart and Callisto because they have Nazi swastika yes. patches on. That's what I'm thinking. And uh, even Moira's like, how dare you place me under uh, guard? Release me at once or you will answer to the Fjord himself. I didn't really get any Scottish in there. It all kind of fell apart. That all worked for me. Um, Yeah, Rachel flies to Manhattan. She flies up to that outcropping. Uh, There's demons. I don't know if Nastir is dead yet. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. This this happens before whatever just happened in the last uncanny x-men issue she she also she sees uh madeline and she thinks it's gene or she thinks it's her mom mom it's me rachel foolish girl the goblin queen claims no one uh claims but one is her child and he isn't you and i think like if we're gonna try to connect all these dots i think she throws uh rachel to gene's mother and father let's just go with that okay uh, I mean, they could just be random demons, but I like to think like they're that. Uh, who throw her into the building and the same people that kind of sucked in Colossus uh, suck Rachel in. It's the exact same. It's Harry and Francois. What? what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just giving them <laughs> oh, names. Oh, okay. So then we get the goofy mid-Atlantic transport of Captain Britain flying with Nightcrawler on his shoulders and Megan cradling Kitty like a baby. It's, it's goofy. Silly. Kitty's got to go to the bathroom, so they stop at a nearby ship. They're like halfway over the ocean. Um, the 
toilet is disgusting. I like the reality that that Nightcrawler is wearing like goggles because they're mm-hmm. probably flying very fast, uh, and their kitty and him are both wearing like overcoats and hoods because it would be a cold flight. There is a cover coloring snafu where Nightcrawler is has uh, white skin. Yep. There's a pin up in the disgusting bathroom. Yeah. The bathroom is super disgusting. Uh, Megan, she's she kind of evolves to turn on the the people. Like the more they glare, the more she wants to impress them. So she becomes, I don't know, curvier, sexier, etc. Yeah, more, all the more, sailors on the boat are really into her, and she's kind of digging that vibe. More, whether she really she means to be or not. Yeah, more more pinup like than anything else. And Nightcrawler sees this and teleports her off, uh, and that's when they switch. Um, yeah, they, they switch rides. Yes, Megan is now carrying Nightcrawler, so that they have a chance to talk, and Captain Britain will be carrying Kitty. So, uh, uh Kitty, did you? <clears throat> don't ask. Not now, not ever. <laughs> you know, if you're Kitty, couldn't you just like, like phase pee? <laughs> well, Captain Britain suggests that. Oh, and and she she says, Captain, that's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, I think you like just drop me off around the corner there. I'm gonna go phase pee. We'll go right through my clothes. I don't want you to watch or anything. That's weird. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. It is. It is suggested. Yeah. So, so the demons uh, continue to fight with with Rachel. She almost gets sucked all the way in, but she fights her way out with her phoenix wings, and she crashes through a bride and groom boutique. Uh, in which case, somebody reaches out a hand. I'm assuming it's the 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 statue that she is in front of her. Yep. Which or one of the statues? I guess there's two. Or what are those things called? The mannequin. Uh, Mannequins, yeah. Which seems reminiscent to what happened in X Men Two Eleven when she originally went to the body shop. So, oh, I, I it's a reference. It could be. I don't. I don't know. This issue kind of ends in a cliffhanger, and I never. I owned this issue, but I didn't own the follow up issue, so I don't know how this this story completes itself. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Nightcrawler and Megan have a chance to talk and, uh, Megan's doing that thing that she's been kind of doing all issue long. And she kind of turns into a Nightcrawler esque, uh, version of herself. She says she's kind of losing. She doesn't feel like she has control of her powers. And Nightcrawler says it comes with practice and time. And she says, you're so confident. And then they see the empire state building and here it's, I don't know. Is this the tallest we see it at? Uh, it's friggin' tall, man. It's not as wide as we saw in the pages of the X-Men, but it's it's like 10 times taller than all the other buildings. It's a pretty cool panel. Yeah, I like it. Uh, that Alan Davis, he sure knows how to draw. Uh, and uh, so they, they fly in and they go, oh, it's Manhattan, it's weird. Can it be? Look at all this stuff that's happening. And uh, Megan immediately is corrupted or, or is chameleonized into demons and she throws Nightcrawler to them and she flies right up to Nastir and she's like, hey, what's up? I want some of this. Yeah, and Nastir says, do you wish to help me? And she says, yes, please. And he says, splendid, this will hurt. I don't mind. So I guess he chomps on her a little bit maybe and turns her into the goblin princess yeah you can't really tell what he does but based on past things you have to assume he takes a bite out of something her soul yes um so presumably the implication is that megan has also been hanging out with madeline Pryor. why is that i don't know why is she why does she get corrupted so quickly uh 
well, this whole issue has just been her being like, you know, turning into the pinup, turning into Nightcrawler, dressing differently for Brian. So she's easily impressionable. I guess you're right. The, the, the seeds have been planted, uh, albeit they could have done it issues and issues ago. But you know, it's it's fine. I think. Uh, so the goblins are like they want to do the same thing to Nightcrawler, um, but there's a little scuffle. And Nightcrawler gets away. Nightcrawler escapes by jumping off the Empire State Building, and um, as he's falling down, he thinks, "Oh, Cap, why are you here to save me?" But there are enough demons that he manages to ricochet off of a few of them towards the towards a flag at the bottom of the Empire State Building, which he then passes through and then hits the ground. Um, he is somehow still alive. Not really sure how. He sees Rachel in the window now in the costume or the, the wedding dress of the mannequin, kind of. Uh, Rachel kind of is the mannequin. Yeah, now. kind of is the mannequin. He's He's calling out for her to help, but she won't. And that's when we get what's happening with Captain Britain and Kitty. Like, everything's going crazy. Uh, and then they get we, sucked into a movie. We get, a, like, a one of those crazy cars from Manhattan, but this one looks kind of like Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah. Uh, Captain Britain punches it, uh, and it's like it's bleeding and stuff. Megan shows up, and, and she she has the movie theater attack them and pull them into the movie animated alive just like the police car kitty follows them into the cineplex where she discovers captain britain now long no longer wearing his costume but he is a cross between rambo and freddy krueger and probably conan the barbarian maybe i don't know there's like a sword in the background and something i want to go with he-man but he's also got an axe so i think you could just use all of your favorite movie cliches and it's probably represented in here yeah. Uh the gun sure. is super cool. It's like it's got a missile on the top, it's got a huge barrel at the bottom, uh, a big uh, uh clip of ammo and uh uh and a chainsaw. And a ch- chainsaw. I was saving that for the last. I was trying to figure out what that like that that holy barrel is. But yes, there's there's multiple barrels and a chainsaw. <laughs> it's a cool gun. Like Here's a, here's another McFarlane toy that I would totally buy. People would be like, "I don't know what that is." But I bet you they'd be like super cool. Just the gun or the whole the whole outfit? The, the whole thing, man. That This whole scene right here. Okay. And again, nobody would buy it. Uh, next issue, issue... Oh, this was issue number six. So I was talking about issue number five earlier when I when I actually said seven. But seven continues Excalibur, and uh, I, I guess I will finally find out what actually happens because oh. I didn't. I didn't ever read the next issue. This one was titled Goblin Knight. The next one... It says next issue is called Goblin Dawn, but it turns out it's actually called Goblin Morn. Yep. Anyway, I probably won't remember that next issue, which is why I'm saying it this issue. Um, Wolverine number five has only one thing I'm interested in. And that's what is that? Hard Case and the Harriers. Really? Only because they come back in a future issue of the X-Men. How do they? Spoilers. I was wondering. <laughs> I don't think they were ever intended to because that, that happens like a ways away from all of this. Or maybe Chris Claremont was planning ahead. He's like, you know what? I'm going to plant these guys in the pages of the of Wolverine because they play sort of a plot point later on down the line in the pages of the X-Men. Okay. Um, the story I thought was, was pretty pretty good, but 
other than yeah, that. Th- this is when Wolverine starts getting good. And, uh, you know, to quickly summarize it, uh, in order to defend uh, Tiger Tiger's rule in Madripoor as the the reigning criminal lord, they're going after, I forget what the guy's name is, the opposing criminal lord who wants to bring drugs into Madripoor. So Wolverine takes it upon himself to get his buddy Archie to fly him over to wherever the drugs are being made, heroin in this case, and burns all of the heroin down. Uh, it's a really cool issue in that we get to see Wolverine like sneaking around and flying a plane and being all like Indiana Jones-esque. We get to see a little bit of Karma, who at the time that I was reading this, I didn't know who that was. Uh, there's a scene where Lindsay McCabe and Spider-Woman, uh, Jessica Drew, yep. I believe, yep. are taking Tiger Tiger to a safe house um, and the the proprietor of the safe house, a Chang is revealed to have known, um, Wolverine probably since the 19th century. So this might be the first time that we're getting the the hint that Wolverine is super old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Chang also has developed some, or is maybe just holding on to Psylocke's armor, which Psylocke doesn't have yet. So this takes place before that. I forgot about that. Lindsay McCabe borrows Psylocke's armor in this issue. So that's a neat little connection. Which, when I was first reading this, I did. I had no idea. Sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's neat. It's got armor. And you get to see Wolverine, like, fighting hard case in the Harriers, and he's all sneaky about it and kind of manipulative as far as, like, uh, getting the troops to go one way when he's the other way and getting them to kill him when but he's not really dead obviously and it's 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 fun he chops somebody's head off in the end which is pretty intense i think hard case even says at the end of the issue i don't think we've seen the last of him or maybe wolverine says i don't think we've seen the last of them one of the two he says he could have canceled our ticket anytime he chose not to next time and mark my words there will be a next time we won't give him the chance to which I say, oh, well, there wasn't a next time. But now, now I know there is. Sorry, spoilers. No, that's good. Because by the time we got to that issue, I would not have remembered that it connected to this issue. I'll be, I I, I will probably remember. I'll be like, remember that issue of Wolverine? Yeah. Uh, and then we finally have Marvel Comics Presents number 19 with a cover by Rob Liefeld. It's so bad. It's <laughs> not good. You know, it's, it's, I get the whole nineties thing where like these, these artists have a certain kind of style and it was very exciting at the time, but looking back at like stuff like this. Wow. I don't know. I don't think that Rob Liefeld was Rob Liefeld at this point. Okay. So you think this is like early Rob Liefeld where nobody would get excited about this? Yeah. I, I mean, just the, remember the issue of GI Joe that was penciled by what's his Todd McFarlane. Yeah. I think it's like that era of his career. Like he's, okay. he's getting ready to bust. And I, I would imagine that, uh, Todd McFarlane's probably doing Spider-Man now and probably gaining some fandom. Oh yeah. He's been doing Spider-Man for, I think a year now. Yeah. So, I think his his fan base is building, and 
I'm not exactly sure where Rob... Well, I think Rob Liefeld eventually takes over New Mutants, and that's where he kind of... Uh, I don't know. I know that he was... Before he was a Marvel guy, he was a DC guy. And I think he was doing Hawk and Dove, hmm. um, which I don't even know what that actually is. <laughs> assuming that's some awesome DC character that I'm just not familiar with. Um, so I guess he's maybe hopping the sides of the fence and getting some occasional pencil work like this cover. Yeah. Which is not a good cover. Yeah. I also think that um, with people like Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee uh, becoming so famous and making comic books uh, more, I don't know, collectible, valuable, more in the um, public eye, people were just looking for other standout artists. And I, I think maybe Rob Liefeld may have just lucked out. <laughs> had a, maybe. Had, had I mean, a couple yeah. of really good covers, you know, a couple of really good cable covers. And you're like, ooh. Because what I remember of X-Force, and it'll be interesting if we decide to cover them, is I remember that the covers, I feel like the covers were really good. But as soon as you would, like, get into the book, you'd be like, well, some of these pages are just not great. <laughs> I feel like he is a McFarlane wannabe. And and from that, maybe he develops his own style. Mm. But I I feel like with this and maybe with some of the early New Mutants stuff, he is just emulating the style of McFarlane. Could be. I, I could be wrong, um, but that's, that's what I get just from looking at the art. Okay. Uh, interesting enough, Jim Lee, uh, also working at Marvel, having worked on couple of issues of Alpha Flight, one of which we covered, which had Wolverine. He is now doing Punisher Warzone mm. and uh, Wils Portacio mm. uh, is doing just regular Punisher. I feel like uh, folks like Wils Portacio did not reach the fandom of like Jim Lee and uh, Todd McFarlane, but like the real comic book people were like, this guy's got something. Yeah. Same thing with like uh, Andy Kubert, I think. I don't think he reached kind of that popularity but i i mean he's definitely there now i would say but like i can never tell the difference between andy kubert and adam kubert and it's probably sacrilege to say that probably but i honestly couldn't tell you what style matches which one of them i yeah. like them both uh i'm a fan of joe kubert though so yeah, yeah. well he's 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 the dad right <laughs> he's, he's the, the He's, the Kubert School of Art. Yeah, he's which the, presumably both the kids went to. I would have, yeah. Maybe that maybe that's why you can't tell the difference because they draw exactly the same. I would say that it's, uh, it's probably laziness on my part, and I've never bothered comparing the two of them. They just kind of blur together for me, which is sad. Doesn't help that like, both their names start with A. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this this uh, story with uh, Cyclops and Master Mold is very difficult to follow, but. Really? I thought this was the best one yet as okay. far as this story goes. All right. Go. Do 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 it justice because I can't. Uh, honestly, not a lot happens. <laughs> See? Um, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, well, this, it, is the, this is the problem with Marvel Comics Presents is that you have eight pages of story where there's not a lot. Like one of the pages is usually a recap of what's happened already. <laughs> the rest of it's exposition and then like a cliffhanger that doesn't pay off. So there's a little girl in a hospital who was in the last couple of issues. She's got some sort of disease that Moira McTaggart has something to do with. 
Um, she turns out to be a mutant, which I think we already knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Master Mold uh, shows that he has Moira McTyre completely brainwashed as she is wanting to uh, study the child so that she can make sure that all mutants die of whatever the disease is. Uh, where we last left off in the last issue, Cyclops had burst into Sean's room and went, Sean! Well, it turns out that Sean also is suffering from the same mutant-killing disease. It's an epidemic. So he brings Sean to the hospital. Um, the minions of uh, Master Mold, who are referred to as the little people, I don't know what they are yet. I don't know if we'll ever know what they are, but they are, in fact, little people. Um, so they, Master Bolt they look sends like, out these... They look like classic Martians, for those of you not actually looking at the comic. That's true, they do. Yeah, the... the uh, the What do they call that? The Gray Man or something? I don't know. Classic uh, four-foot Martians. Big heads, big eyes, naked, pink. Thin. Yeah, thin, yep. Um, so first Master Bolt sends out these flying lights which have an ultra-high frequency, and they knock everybody in the hospital out including Cyclops. And then Master Mold, for some reason, leaves his Master Mold cave to go to the hospital with his little people and Moira. The little people grab Sean and the little girl to take aboard. I'm not sure what they take aboard. They must have brought some sort of ship with them. Or maybe it's Master Mold's leg. I don't know. It doesn't really tell you where they're going. Let's just say it's a spaceship. Yeah. It's a UFO. Sure. These guys are clearly being tied to UFOs. They're going home. Uh, Cyclops magically wakes up and starts blasting people. The little people are start attacking him. He is able to stop Moira from joining the uh, little people kidnappers and snaps her out of it. I think maybe he doesn't snap her out of it. My test subjects, what have you done? I must be with them. Moira, snap out of it. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then she says, I've killed Sean, Scott, and little Mary. God, forgive me. I've killed you all. So... Not a lot happens, but it moves the story forward. Sean and little girl are kidnapped. There's a mutant disease. Master Mold's in control. Sean finally knows what's going on. Scott Scott finally knows what's going on. I don't know who Sean is. Oh, yeah, Sean is Sean Cassidy. Okay. (laughs) Banshee, yeah. We met him before. So, yeah, that's all that happens, but I don't know. It was well done. It was well paced from what I could recall. But Good art. After like a week or so of not having read it, it was difficult to break it down in detail. I, I I read it twice because <laughs> I also read it like two weeks ago and I was like, I'm not going to remember this. So I reread it quickly. Yeah. All right, then. Well, I think that about brings us to the end. Indeed. So until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Yeah.